The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I've been struggling with an issue all of my life. I'd like to share it with you. I was raised in a small country church. I saw in that church almost no change in the years I was a part of that fellowship. There was no growth. I think in the entire time growing up in that church, there was only one family that was added to the church by conversion. And then as time passed, of course, as a child, my question was, why doesn't the gospel work today? Why aren't people being converted? I couldn't understand. I was deeply troubled by this. And then we moved on, and in seminary I was taught relational theology, that everything had to be presented therapeutically, everything was about how you felt, everything was about helping people feel good about their faith in Jesus. And as I watched the church growth movement swept in, And suddenly we discovered tools that would allow us to grow the church without converting people. So one man, pastor of a mega church that I spoke with, I asked him the question, is yours a worldly church? And to my shock, he answered, well, yes, of course it is, Ray. I said, what do you mean? He said, well... We have to use worldly music and worldly video clips and, and everything else we can use 
to draw people into the church, and then once they get there, we hope that they'll understand that they're loved by Jesus and that they've been forgiven by Jesus and that then they can come to him and receive salvation. I said, well, how's it going for you? Well, he said, we have a church full of people. We have several thousand attending. The problem is they were not converted, but they were thoroughly vaccinated against the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel that was being presented there was the gospel of the world and of the therapeutic model of feeling good, but it was not the gospel of salvation. It was not the gospel of repentance. And so I've struggled in my own heart and in my own life because I was taught from the very first days, don't offend people with the gospel. I was taught that friendship evangelism was the way to go. You win people by coming, becoming their friends, and then they'll finally say, you know, I see something in your life that I'd like. And so they're supposed to then ask questions, and then you're supposed to answer them in a way that doesn't offend them. And then they come to church because it's a wonderful social gathering, plus it's inspirational, plus they get the benny of going to heaven, the assurance that they're saved. All they have to say is, I repent of my sin. There's no embarrassment in saying, I repent of my sin, and so you're on the way. You're on the, you're on the way to heaven. Of course, I've asked various people, how's that working out for you? And very sincerely, they've answered honestly to me and saying, I really haven't had anybody ask me that question. Nobody has seen any difference in me. I said, well, that doesn't bother you? That you're like them? and that they're going to become good friends with you, and then because of friendship, they're going to come to church, and they're going to be like you and everybody else in the church? He said, well, that has happened. So now we have a church in America full of unconverted people, but they've been told they're saved. Now, please, let me tell you where I'm struggling. My heart is very upset today. I've been much in prayer, crying out to God, because how are the lost going to be saved? So this morning I went to a little shop where I could have a salad as a lunch, and the owner of that shop came by and saw me, and we're friends. He said to me, how are you? How are you doing? I said, I'm not doing very well. His face looked alarmed. And he said, what's wrong? And I said to him, how are the lost ever going to be saved? And he broke out in a smile and he lifted his finger and pointed toward heaven. And he said, by Jesus Christ. Well, his answer is true, and it's false. 
It's half truth and half lie. Yes, there are people that Jesus has just sovereignly moved in on them, and he has saved them. But what has he saved them from? Has he saved them from their drugging and drinking, from their fornication? Has he saved them from their addiction to shopping? Has he saved them from their addiction to food and drugs and sex? What has Jesus saved them from? Well, obviously, someone who has been saved has been taken out of harm's way and has been brought to a secure place. We call that, in common sense English, being saved. When a man is drowning in the flood and you throw him a life preserver with a rope and you pull him out of that rushing dark water and you stand him on his feet on solid ground, we can say that man was saved from drowning. But if a man comes to Jesus Christ and he is not convicted of his sin, when he does not leave his sin, is he saved? Well, common sense would say absolutely not. He is not saved. He's still lost. Oh, but he's convinced he is saved. So, let me tell you frankly, where I personally have been struggling. I've been struggling to understand where I have been missing the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the hearts and lives of men and women. I've been at this now for many, many years. I have left churches and denominations because I discovered they were teaching a lie. But what do I do when I discover that I've taught lies? All I know to do is to grieve. And what do I mean? Well, the whole relational theology, the whole approach of growing out of your sins is false. Not one passage of Scripture teaches that a man or a woman grows out of his sin. Now, I was having dinner with a dear friend, and I said to this man, I'm really struggling with understanding an issue I think I've misunderstood it. He said, well, what's that? I said, it seems clear in the scripture that a man cannot grow out of his sin, that it has to be cut off, and that there's often a lot of discomfort in that process. And he immediately took that and interpreted it in a way that is utterly dishonest and a lie. 
Now, I'm not accusing him of being dishonest. He is absolutely sincere in what he believes. But what he believes, commonly held by the American church, is preventing people from entering into salvation. The reason people are not being saved, I mean truly saved, and being transformed into new creatures is because we in the church have said things and believe things that are utterly false. Let me tell you what he said. He said, well, Ray, the way I've explained that for years is that it's like a skunk spraying you, and you have the stench of that skunk about you. Now, he said, I've been sprayed by a skunk. I could not get the stench of that skunk off. I washed with soap and water, and it still didn't come off. Well, I've been sprayed by a skunk, too. And it's hard to get the stink of a skunk off of you. The problem with what he was saying is he explained that you are always going to have the stench of the skunk about your life. You're always going to be sinning. But it's God's grace, it's Jesus who covers over your sin and says you're righteous, even though the stench is very much there. Well, then the conversation turned. Someone else said something to him, and I sat in silence, utterly devastated by the answer that he'd just given me. And then the conversation turned to some sporting events, and I piped up, And I said, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute. There were several of us there. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. I've been hearing you say that you want a preacher who will preach to you for 10 to 15 minutes. At 12 minutes, you begin to be antsy, and by 15, you're ready to walk out, and the preacher is not worthy to hear. You like short sermons. I said, okay, I hear that. But then I hear you talk about the excitement and the excitement crescendo in your voice about watching the baseball game. There's something wrong here. You'll sit for two hours and watch that baseball game, but 12 minutes is your limit with Jesus. Well, they were a little chagrined by what I was saying, And they laughed about it, and they said, but at the baseball game, we can go get a beer. I said, well, you can take a beer to church, can't you? If you're going to drink a beer at the baseball game, you can surely take a beer to church. Well, they didn't think that would be quite fitting. And without the beer, they weren't going to be able to sit and listen to the preacher for more than 12 to 15 minutes max. Something wrong. Now, they didn't say it, but it was implied. It was implied that they know everything about the gospel and that everything is just repeating what they already know and they don't want to be bored by being told what they already know. But see, the problem is what they know is false. How do we begin to deal with this? Ah, 
my heart's so heavy. I want to see the lost saved. I've been walking around and I see a sign on the on the people everywhere I go to be burned. God's judgment is on them. His wrath is on them. Oh, they may have money and they may have a new Mercedes and they may have all kinds of wonderful things and they may be very professional and they may have great education, but on them is the label to be burned because they've never been saved out of their sin. And I'm saying, oh God, this has to change. This has to change. But it has to change first in us. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Revival begins in the house of God. Now, I don't mean to be in any way critical of these wonderful men. They're all, for years, a part of the church. They're all 62 years or older. But I testify, I saw no passion for the lost among those Christian men. I saw no passion for prayer. I saw only passion for worldly entertainment. I only saw passion for current events in their lives. I say this because it is so utterly common. It is not the exception. It is the rule. And it is this lack of passion created by this false implied belief that Jesus is going to save people sovereignly by his grace and we have no part to act in that. This is just utterly wrong. It's utterly wrong. (laughs) Who has taught us? Where have we learned? Where have I learned? That being converted and being a growing Christian are all in one bag. Where have I learned that we should not embarrass others or ourselves by talking about sin? Well, we don't like to be confronted with our sin. We don't like to be confronted and embarrassed. One precious man finally became bold enough to openly, to a couple of us, confess his sin. And as soon as he began to confess his sin, he began to cry. Now this is a man-man. He began to cry. And he said, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm crying as he's wiping away the tears. I'm crying. Why am I crying? Well, I'll tell you why he was crying. Because his heart was pierced by the Holy Spirit because of his sin. And as he confessed that sin and got clean of it and was washed by the blood, he was set free. And today he is gloriously free. 
he would not have been free had he not confessed his sin. He would not have been free had he not confessed his sin, but we have made an unspoken agreement that we will not confront people with their sin because it might offend them and it might break our friendship. So there are certain things we just don't talk about. Now please, it is time for Christians to live like the church in the book of Acts. Well, how does that happen? There's no shortcut. It requires us to confess our sin, to allow the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts. It requires that we renounce that sin and by faith in the blood of Jesus, ask him to remove that sin from our hearts. It means we must consecrate ourselves totally to Jesus Christ and to the work of the gospel. It means we have to change our priorities and our beliefs. It means we have to change how we spend our time and our money, our energy. Jesus Christ and the work of the gospel of revival must be number one in our hearts. It means we have to gather with like-minded Christians to pray. We have to take time to pray. The first church was a prayer meeting, a 10-day prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit came. The Pentecost anointing of the Holy Spirit only comes out of honest repentance, confession, and out of the power of Jesus' blood, washing and changing and making us into new creatures. So I, for one, am going to boldly preach conviction, repentance, conversion leaving our sin. Do you want to see the culture of Washington, D.C. changed? Do you want to see America saved? Only the power of Jesus can do that as he moves in your heart and saves you from your sin. And he will not save you from your sin if you are not converted. Most of you have been vaccinated against conversion. And you have skipped that part of the journey and have moved into improving your life by taking the principles of Scripture, by taking courses and workshops on how you can improve the strategies of your life. And so you've been able to improve your life and leave some sin. But at the core of your heart, you're still not a Christian. I dare say that 90% of those who call themselves Christians in America are not Christians. They're not converted. They're just a part of the religious culture of our day. They don't sacrifice for the gospel. 
This breaks my heart. I want you to be converted. But as long as you maintain that you are converted, but you know you walk in sin, and the old stench of the skunk is still all about you, don't you have to use common sense and say something's wrong here? Now, I want to turn to the scriptures, and I have many of them, and I don't know that I'll have time to get through them all, but I want you to at least look at what the Word says with me. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dunamis, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. I am ashamed, my brother and my sister, I am ashamed of the gospel of the modern church. And I am ashamed of myself in every way that I have participated in that wicked gospel. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that washes and cleanses and changes and turns me from all sin and causes me to be made righteous before Jesus so that I can enter into heaven. I'm not ashamed of that kind of gospel. But I am ashamed of the effeminate relational gospel of the American church. I am deeply offended by it. Verse 17, For therein, that is, in this gospel of Christ, the power, the dunamis of God, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So you can claim to be a Christian, but if you're walking in any ungodliness, if you're walking in pride and lying and cheating, if you're walking in homosexuality, lesbianism, living with a woman or a man that's not your mate, committing fornication, going to the porno on the web. If you're walking in ungodliness, in anger, bitterness, hostility, division, self-righteousness, if you're walking in ungodliness and unrighteousness, it says the wrath of God is revealed against heaven or from heaven against you. You are under the wrath of God. Now listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The modern American church is holding the truth of Jesus Christ in utter unrighteousness. And he's saying the wrath of God is on you. And the wrath of God is on the American church and he's about to destroy us. He's already destroying the church in Europe. The churches are being turned into mosques. The Muslims are taking over the churches in Europe. In France, there's almost no Christian church left. The great churches of the past have been empty for a long time. And the Muslims are coming and they're saying, we'll buy that church, we'll buy that beautiful cathedral, we'll turn it into a mosque, we'll put up a minaret. And they're doing so. Why? Because the church has held the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness, in wickedness. 
breaks my heart. I don't like even saying these things. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. He, had, he is at the point of destruction for an American church. Listen, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've referred this to the pagans. Please understand, this is not talking about pagans. This is talking about Christians, about you and me, about the modern American church, professing ourselves to be wise. They became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God is giving the American church over to homosexuality, ordaining bishops, pastors who are homosexuals and lesbians. I just spoke with a woman. I said, who's your pastor? She said, oh, he's a, he's a wonderful man, but he's having a really hard time. I said, why? Well, he's gay. I said, you have a gay pastor in a Lutheran church? Yes. And I began to talk further with this woman who is wanting to go to church and learn about Jesus She'd never heard of Moses or Abraham. Totally biblically illiterate. And so she sees wrong with a gay pastor and she wishes everybody get on board and just love this man and let him love them. No recognition of sin in the church today. All this first chapter of Romans is so painful but I want to go to second Corinthians for just a moment I want to begin with chapter 5 verse 15 speaking about Jesus that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but under him which died for them and rose again wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh yea though we have known christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know him that way no more therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new we have known Christ in the American church as a permissive, unconditional lover of our souls so that we could walk in any kind of wickedness and say, Jesus loves me just the way I am. All things are of God, who hath reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin, literally in translating it should be, for he hath made him 
sin offering for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It is God's will that we be made the righteousness of God. If you look with me at 1 John 2, verse 28, And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, Behold the manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So there is a work of purification that must go on in our lives. And if that work of purification does not go on, we are not of Christ. Verse 4, Whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for the sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's plain, isn't it? We must be converted. But we cannot be converted until we understand that the wrath of God is going to come. And no one who is under his wrath walking in sin will be able to stand regardless of what their profession is. Regardless of what they, of what they say they have. How are the lost going to be saved if they are not confronted with their sin? How can you be saved if I don't come on this broadcast and confront you with your sin? Now, some of you would just rather turn it off. And you can. The radio dial's there. You can just turn it off. But that's not going to cause you to escape damnation before God. You can't hide your head in the sand and think you're not going to be destroyed when Jesus comes. And no sentimental religion is going to save you. There's going to have to be an honest conversion in your heart. I have three groups of people in this listening audience. I have first, you who are precious in the sight of God, 
you have been converted, you have been transformed, you are walking clean before God. And if the Holy Spirit calls you, I ask you, please, would you come to the National Prayer Chapel? And would you lay your life down with me and others to bring the true gospel of Jesus to Washington, D.C.? I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone financially. I can't do it alone in any way. We need Pentecost power from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking those of you who are serious about Jesus, you know you cannot go on living if you do not see sinners repenting and being saved. You are utterly sick and tired of powerless Christianity. You're tired of the entertainment. You're tired of the emptiness. I invite you to come to the prayer chapel at the summoning of the Holy Spirit. We're not big. We're not impressive. We're not trying to be. We want men and women who truly want Jesus who will lay down all imagined offenses, who are clean before Jesus, who will drop their pharisaical spirit, and who will come and walk with a humble group of people who are just seeking Jesus and Pentecost. Because we know the lost cannot be saved until they are convicted and confronted and dealt with with the wrath of God. They cannot be converted until they see their sin and feel utterly broken over it. There is a second group of people listening to this broadcast that I'm speaking to, and that's those of you who are half converted. But in your heart you're longing to be totally given over to Jesus. You call yourself a Christian, but you have never been able to gain the victory over your sin. If so, you're half converted and you are not saved. And I'm inviting you to come to the prayer chapel this Sunday. And I'm inviting you to come prepared to confess your sin and be converted totally and completely to receive the Holy Spirit, prepared to forever quit all sin and to live a holy life in Jesus. Now there's a third group of you who listen to this broadcast. Your heart is filled with cynicism and bitterness. You walk in sin. You know you have never even tried to give yourself utterly and completely to Jesus. You're listening, however, because there's a hunger in your heart. You're sick of your sin and you're hungry for something real. Only Jesus can answer the cry of your heart. If you're tired of your own destructive behavior, your meaningless life, the struggle to survive, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor in heavy burden, and I, I will give you rest. 
So I'm inviting you to come to the prayer chapel this Sunday. Now you can stay in your dead prisons, but you cannot be saved in your dead prison. You have to choose out of your conscience to say, I am tired of my sin and I want a new way. When you come to the National Prayer Chapel, you will be invited to repent of your sin and to give your life utterly, totally, and completely to Jesus Christ. And you will be called to do so immediately. This is not a long-term project. I ask these three groups, the serious, honest Christian who's willing in humility to seek Pentecost power, Second, the half-converted. And third, the unbelievers. Now I recognize that this means you will have to inconvenience your life. The lost will not be saved if you refuse to inconvenience your life. I want so much to see people free of drugs and alcohol, of wickedness of all kinds. I want to see this nation saved, but I know it all starts with me making certain I'm clean with Jesus and totally given over to him, waiting for the Pentecost power that he has promised us. I can do nothing without Jesus. The words I speak today will be utterly powerless if they are not accompanied by the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and turn you from darkness. If that does not happen, then I have wasted my time. I don't want to live in the lies of the modern church. Conversion is real. Real transformation and change and leaving behind the old ways and entering now into Jesus Christ. This is a real, current experience, reality if you will choose that. Now, some of you live much too far away to be a regular part of revival in Woodbridge, Virginia. But you can pray. You can also become a builder with us. We believe that this radio broadcast needs to be spread widely in Washington, D.C. To do that, we need to be on the FM side of the dial. 
And so we're looking for 100 builders who will each sacrifice $100 this month to prepare the way for us to go to FM radio. Do you care enough for the message you hear here, for the salvation of the lost? Do you care enough to give? I want to thank each one of you who has literally given that this radio broadcast could be on the AM side of the dial. One dear man last year gave $19,000 to keep this broadcast on the air. I am very grateful to that dear brother who is such a sincere and honest Christian man. We need more people like that, that we could be on a much wider scale calling Washington, D.C. to repent, to turn from sin, to be converted. There must be a change in our city or this city will burn. Do you understand? This is not casual stuff. This is reality. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Do you understand? The church has been ignorant and blind in their hearts, believing things that block the lost from becoming Christians. The lost will only be converted if they are confronted with their sin and they see the wrath of God is upon them and in desperation they turn and try to find a Savior and Jesus is there for them. But if all they hear is Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, they'll never see the wrath of God, they'll never see their sin and they will never be converted. And all the modern church teaches is Jesus loves you. And it's true, but it's a lie. Do you understand? Until you've seen the wrath of God, you cannot understand the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. This is not some casual do-gooder. God came and laid his life down because of the wrath of God. Do you think you will escape the wrath of God if you are not converted? Verse 21. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation that the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth to his neighbor. And he goes on, he identifies the sins. 
He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you and all malice. I'm astonished that people would say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and be a pharisaical judge of another and say, you're a sinner. I can't walk with you. What? Jesus said, take the plank out of your own eye before you take this little dot out of another's. I have to tell you, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you. And then chapter 5, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints, neither foolishness, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Because of this comes the wrath of God on the American church. Such utter casualness. utter casualness my heart breaks my heart breaks how do we even begin to get through this the book of Colossians chapter 3 Let me read this. Let not one to another lie, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectedness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to that which you were called in one body. Be ye thankful. Chapter 5, Mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And the church is filled with the children of disobedience because they were lied to. They were told their life could be improved. They'd receive strategies for success. They could have all the money they wanted. Now, can I be real straight with you, please? I'm tired of seeing men and women who are not builders, who are consumers, who will come to church as long as it's convenient, 
As long as they're getting the benefits they want, they'll come to that church. And when they can't get the benefit they want there, they shift to another church. And so they're like goats going wherever they think they can get the most. When are we going to lay our life down for Jesus Christ and be converted and be changed and become builders? My brother, my sister, I I have not given this message to make you uncomfortable, but I pray that you are. I pray that you will examine carefully your heart and your life to determine whether or not you are saved or whether you're walking in wickedness and sin in the deadness of Laodicea, lukewarm, cold-hearted. And I invite you to come this Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. We meet at 12 noon to begin praying. You're welcome to come. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Don't come expecting a show. Come expecting to get right with Jesus and to walk clean with him. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon.